0: be free to be fixed on you in this moment in time for your glory and your honor in Jesus name. Amen. 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 All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at a couple different passages this morning. So let's kind of review where we are, kind of tell you where we're going, what we're doing, just to make sure we're staying. You're going to hear me saying a lot of things in the next couple of weeks. And you're going to hear me talk a lot about vision. You're going to hear that word appearing quite a bit. That word vision, vision, vision. Because as we said several weeks ago, we preached the message where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision is not just optional for the church. Vision is vital. And every church will have a different vision. So we spent a couple of weeks talking about the church. What does the church look like? How does the church structure itself? And we said that every church is different. You've got Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic. They all worship different. They all structure different, different hierarchies, different titles for our leaders, some called pastors, some called bishops, elders, doesn't matter. What matters is that we have a structure for not just coming together and worshiping, but coming together, worshiping, and equipping each other to go out into the world, out into the community, and be the witnesses that God has called us to be. So we talked about deacons. We looked at those first basic servants in the church from Acts chapter 6. We're going to refer to that just briefly, a little later this morning, very briefly. But we talked about the deacons. Then last week we looked at the elders. We looked at elders or bishops, and those terms used somewhat interchangeably. And those are the terms that are used to refer to pastors. We use the word pastor today, which is an Old Testament word. It's a beautiful word. And it carries the idea of a shepherd, shepherding the flock. And in the New Testament, uh, then you find that word bishop or elder. And this is what we said. And we're going to come back to this uh, at the end. Remember we said last week right at the end, and we didn't quite, I don't know if I brought it home quite enough, but I want to uh, remind us of this again. We said that those terms are always plural. You, 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 find, you might find a reference to one individual, a bishop, an elder, a deacon. But when you talk about the church, whenever Paul writes about the church, whenever the New Testament speaks about the church, you read about deacons, plural, bishops, plural, elders, plural. And we understand that one man cannot effectively lead a church and love a church the way that that church needs to be led and loved. And you might have a senior pastor, and most every church still shares that in common, they have a senior pastor, but then depending on the size of the church, those churches are going to have associate pastors, all handling different responsibilities in the church, and they work together. And then with those associate pastors, you're going to have your deacons, and depending on how the church is structured, you're going to have a board of elders, which I love the idea of a board of of elders. Now, I didn't say this last week because I didn't want to scare you. I I talked about praying and being able to serve and be a deacon and be an elder but one of the things we kind of ran over and I didn't address it real, 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 at length was the idea that that anyone in a position of a leadership in the church like that needs to be able to teach the word of God. In fact, it's even stronger than that. For the bishops and elders, they need to be able to preach. <laughs> now, I, didn't, I don't want to go uh, into too much detail on that because I don't want to scare you out of the thought of being an elder. But, uh, but I will say this. I've been in churches and I've known churches where if the pastor is out for any reason... If he's sick or if he's out for any reason, it's very difficult for them to find somebody to fill the pulpit. And a lot of times what a church will do is they'll call the associational missionary. Hey, are you preaching anywhere Sunday? We need a preacher. Come preach for us. But the reality is, however you label the church, however we work and minister in the church, a church that is blessed, that's really been blessed by God as a church, well, when you can look out across the congregation, and at a moment's notice, you can find a man who can stand up and deliver a message from the Word of God, and also when you have someone who can deliver a lesson or a, a, a Bible study from the Word of God, a teacher who can step in and teach. The more preachers and teachers that you have committed to the Word of God in the church, the stronger that church is going to be. Amen? And it's all about the Word of God. It's all about the Word. So with that in mind, I want to share a couple of things. I want to talk today about how then do we integrate, how do we, how do we integrate the church? What is the church for? What is the purpose of the church? So we're going to talk today a little bit about the last thing about church structure, which is how to do groups in the church how do we function in the church how do we operate that then uh, next week uh, uh, brother mike's going to preach for us next sunday so looking forward to hearing from him he's told me what the lord's laid on his heart so i'm excited to hear that Uh, in two weeks when i'm back in the pulpit uh, we're going to talk about um, uh, we're going to talk about those one another passages that i've been mentioning now just so you know there's about a hundred of them in the new testament and i'm not going to preach them all in one sermon thank you for that amen In fact, we probably won't cover all of them. We'll group them up. We'll cover most of them, but we probably won't cover all of them. We're going to talk about those one another passages. Then the week after that, and this is an important one, we're going to talk about the love your brother passages. And those are different. And I'm going to tell you why they're different. Because in the New Testament, when the Bible tells us to love our brother, it's used two ways. It's used, number one, to love our brother in Christ, to love your brother or sister in the church, to love each other in the body of Christ. Those are their own set of verses. But then there are other verses which says love your brother, and it refers to our fellow man. And boy, I'm going to tell you, we need to know those verses today more than ever. Amen. But the Bible tells us. You see, we've gotten the idea, somehow or another, there are some churches who've gotten the idea that the only people we have to love or those who are like-minded, those who are saved, those who go to our church, those who are Baptists. Presbyterians love the Presbyterians, Baptists love the, Presby- Baptists love the Baptists, and Methodists love the Methodists, but other than that, we don't love each other. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And even beyond that, not only are we supposed to love each other in the body of Christ across denominational lines, we are supposed to love the people who God made to live in this world who have yet to know how much He loves them and that He gave His Son Jesus to die for them. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at that. But for this morning, I want to talk about how, do we, how, do, how does a church look? How do people get into the church? How do, how do we bring them into the church? So uh, you might have heard this phrase before. Um, oh, I promised I would tell you that story. Um, yeah. just, just, just a little something to kind of get us started. Amen. Just to, just to understand, I could probably say, I should probably make y'all wait for two weeks for this one. I think I will. Uh, it'll actually fit better. Yeah, you're going to have to wait. Sorry. All right, so (laughs) I I love y'all. I really do. I love you. Please, 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 please still love me. Amen. I got to save it. I got to save it. It doesn't fit this morning. All right, here we go. Have you ever heard this phrase, seeker-friendly? You heard the phrase of a seeker-friendly church? You know about churches that are seeker-friendly. What does that mean? And and it's not a bad thing. It's a church who says, we want to be a church. We want to be a place where people who are seeking God can come and encounter the Lord. We want to be a seeker-friendly church. We want to be open to, so basically when the church doors are open for worship, whenever the church is having a function, whatever the church is doing, we want someone who doesn't know the Lord to be able to come and be a part of that. And that's a great thing. Amen? But there's two things you have to be on guard of when you do that. All right? Number one, we have to realize not as many people are seeking God as we think they are. Because the Bible says, in fact, if we look at Romans chapter 3, and even in the Psalms, where, which, which is referenced in, in, in Romans 3, the Bible says there is none that seeketh after God, no, not one. Beloved, the reality is, it's not that we're seeking God, it's that God seeks us. Amen? And, 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 and once God initiates that process, and I believe he did that at the cross. I believe that's the ultimate of God's seeking. Everything that Jesus did on the cross was God's way of letting us know that he wants to know us. He's looking to have a relationship with his creation. And he's made it possible through Jesus. And then as the Holy Spirit stirs in a person's heart and they respond to that, they begin to seek for something they didn't even realize that they needed, and that's God. Amen? Billy Graham used to say that there is a God-shaped hole in every man's heart. And only God can fill that hole. And man will spend his whole life trying to fill that hole with all these things that don't fit and he'll never be satisfied. He'll never find the life that he needs, the life that he truly wants until God fills that hole. Amen? Amen? I didn't say that. Billy Graham said that. Now, if y'all aren't saying amen to Billy Graham, I don't know what to do about that. Amen. I can't help you with that one. Beloved, the reality is we're searching and right now you're looking at a world of people who are searching and they honestly don't know what they're searching for. They think they know what they need. But until they have a relationship with Christ, they will not find what they need. Say amen. Now, with that in mind, three things. I want to talk about this quickly. So when we talk about a freak, what do we, what do we mean when we talk about a seeker-friendly church? Who is the church for? What is the function of the church? Uh, what exactly does it mean? Um, and I don't have this for you to read this, so I'm going to reference this. I don't have the verses this morning. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 and 47, um, you read, about, you read about how God added to the church daily those that would be saved and how they worshiped together and they came together and they worshiped. You don't have to turn there because we're going to, we're going to go to Acts 17 here in just a moment. Um, it says that he added to the church daily those that would be saved and it talks about how they worshiped together, they shared all things common, they loved each other. They didn't start out that way. God had to do something in their life and they didn't start out as the saved. You and I need to remember when you talk about a secret friendly church, when we talk about the church, we need to remember that you and I weren't always a part of the church. Amen. Now, some of us, some of you, were privileged and blessed to be raised by a godly parent who, who raised you up in the church. So you've known the whole church, the church your whole life, but you still had to come to a point in your life where you trusted Christ as your Savior. Mom and Dad taking you to church doesn't make you a Christian. Amen. Mom and Dad taking you to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than mom and Dad taking you to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Amen. You and I have to except what Jesus has done for us. That being said, we need to remember. Now, some of you are here, and your life was much harder. You grew up outside the church, and God had to fight to bring you to Christ, but the day that you got saved, you remember that day. And, beloved, we need to realize that we weren't always in the church like that. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 10 through 12 this morning. Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 12, and I'm actually going to read down to verse 15. Acts chapter 17, verse 10 says that the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming to Berea went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. So just to kind of tell you where i was in the story, the, the, the apostles had already been to Thessalonica. They were not as well received as you would think, and we're going to see that in just a minute. And so now they've come to Berea and they're preaching the gospel. They're sharing the word daily. And, and, and it starts by saying these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They wanted to hear the word. You're going to encounter that. You're going to encounter that. Every church is going to be different. There's going to be a church in a community where there are people who are hungry and thirsting to know God and to know the word of God. And you're going to be in other communities. There are other churches. they are in communities right now where there are people doing everything they can to get rid of that church. They'd be fine if the church was gone. And so it's not always going to be the same. Every church is going to be different. But the reality is there are those people who are looking to know God, and, and those are the ones we want to be on the lookout for. You don't want to miss the person that God brings right in front of us who's, who's God has been searching for them, and now they're searching for him, and we don't want to miss that and point them off on another direction where they miss the very thing that they need, and God wants for them to know. And the beauty of this passage, it says that many of them believed, honorable men and women, Greeks, not a few. Not one or two. There were a lot of Greeks. And so that's what's beginning to happen. This is important. Now Gentiles are beginning to follow Christ. They're beginning to hear the message of the word of God. And they're listening to the apostles. And they're accepting the work of Jesus and who he was and what he did. And so in verse 13 it says, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea they came thither also and stirred up the people. So now not only do you have people who don't want the church in their community, if they find out it's in another community, they're going to go to that community and they're going to do everything they can to stop it from being in that community. And and if you'll notice, where did the problem originate? And this is sad, and we we need to pay attention to this. It originated with the Jews, the ones who are originally God's chosen people. You know the worst thing that can happen in the life of a church is when the church itself becomes the instrument by which the devil stirs up strife and division and keeps people from coming to know the Lord. And if you and I don't keep that commitment, if we don't keep that commitment to Christ, it'll happen. It'll happen without us ever knowing it, without even realizing it. And so the first thing we see this morning is, is that there were those who wanted to hear the word of God. Beloved, it does not matter. The Bible tells us as long as this earth remains, as long as as long as we're still drawing breath, as long as this, this world still exists, God is drawing men and women to him through the power of the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people who are still being saved, people who still need to be saved, and there are people who will never hear the gospel unless this church makes a commitment to be the ones that share that message. Amen. This church was placed here for a reason. And so when we read about this, we we think about that. We think about who caused the trouble. And, and tied in with this is this idea of how we're supposed to love one another and how we're supposed to love the brethren, how we're supposed to look at those. Now, with all that in mind, when you think about the church, three things I want to share with us very quickly. We want to talk about open groups, closed groups, and leader groups. Open, closed, and leaders. I want to talk about it. I want to talk about groups, not clicks, groups. Not clicks, groups. Amen? There's a difference. Group. You can have a group. Group can get together, accomplish what they need to do, and then disband the group if you don't need the group anymore. You can have a group of people. A group of people isn't bad. A click can get bad pretty fast. Amen? We're not talking about clubs either. We're not talking about clubs. Clubs are exclusive. Clubs will let certain people in, but other people aren't allowed in. I think we have enough of exclusivity in the world today. Amen? Amen. So we're open groups. But we're not going to talk about closed groups. Closed, all right, not restricted, closed groups. And, we'll get to that, and we're going to talk about leader groups. All right, so open groups. What's an open group? What do I mean by an open group? I mean every church needs to have some way by which the church is open to anyone. Now, most of the time, there's two ways a church does that. Number one, it does it in the worship service. I know of a few churches, I know of a few churches, and we're not going to preach on this very long this morning, that will not let you in the church unless you are a member of that church. You have to, you don't just join, you don't just walk in and go, hey, I want to come and join you for worship this morning. They'll tell you, well, the worship's not open. Worship's only open for certain people. We'll tell you how to get to, you know, try going into some of those churches. And there are cults out there that are that way. You don't just walk in and, 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 and say, I'm here to worship with you. But a good church, the Bible church is a church that, at least when it comes to worship, makes sure that the doors are open so that when that person, and I can't tell you the number of stories I've heard of people who were just driving by a church, and the Holy Spirit said, "You, you, you need to go. You just need to go into church. And for whatever reason, they pulled into the parking lot. They walked into the doors of a church. They heard the preacher preaching. And at the end of the sermon, they gave their life to Christ. Why? Because the church doors were open. Amen. And this is it. This is the function. This is the one thing that we do. This is the Ravi Zacharias before the Lord called him home. And I'm still a little bit mad at God about that. Amen? I don't know who's going to fill his shoes. But uh, before the Lord called Ravi Zacharias home, I heard him say on numerous occasions that one of the single greatest untapped evangelistic tools in the church today is the power of open worship. When people walk in and they see, when they walk into a church and they experience a people worshiping God and, it, and the Spirit moves, and, and I use this term, the Holy Spirit ambushes them, if you will, with His power and His presence, and they're caught up in our worship and they want to know what that is and they have an encounter with Christ and He becomes their Savior. And it all happens because the church doors were open and when you walked inside, the people were worshiping God. Counter that with a thousand stories of somebody who walked into church and the first thing they heard was somebody grumbling, complaining, turned around and said, I'm never going back to that church again. Thank God that the overwhelming number of stories I've heard in my life, and I said, and I, and I don't ever want this to change, is how people walked into a church. And it's, by the way, it's one of the things that you said, and I agree with when we did our transitional training listening sessions about how many of you, when you first came to this church, when you walked in and you said you felt welcome and loved and now you're a member of this church and some of you have been a member of this church for years and years and years some of you have been a member of this church for 150 years and it is it is amen (laughs) you have been members of this church and this is your home and those of you who once came in and felt loved and welcome are now the very ones making other people feel loved and welcome in this church this is and beloved I'm going to tell you Y'all know I'm just a little old-fashioned, a little little bit. I I could preach and say something. I just want to keep it simple. I don't want to criticize the churches that are doing it wrong. I want to stress the fact that there's a way to do it right, and the way to do it right is to make sure that anyone who comes into the church finds people who are in love with the truth of the Word of God and worshiping God and gives the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to that person and bring them into the joy that we have. Amen? And by the way, the joy that we have, the joy that we have, singing, singing and worshiping, singing, not, not, not uh, singing and worshiping. They walk into church and they're am oh, so excited we've been wanting to visit this church and they walk in and they see everybody in the church and this is, how you doing? I'm not a terrible week, I don't know why I'm even here. <laughs> no, but they walk in, they see our heads are lifted up, we're smiling, amen, amen. I'm I'm, I'm, we got to get past this COVID thing I'm 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 tired I want to shake a hand again I, I almost remember what it feels like to shake a hand a hug from somebody other than my wife don't get me wrong I love hugging my wife amen but it's nice to be hugged by a brother or sister in Christ not only that it's nice to see someone come into the church and them feel so welcome that we can give them a hug or they'll hug us amen I missed that. We'll get that back. We're getting there. We'll get there. All right. Worship, and then number two, Sunday school, Sunday school. Most, most Sunday schools are open anyway. People come to the church. One of the first things we do, one of the first things I always do when someone church, joins the church or visits the church, we sit down, we talk to them as a pastor, we ask them about, you know, how they study the word, what brought them to church, where are they from, and we start talking about, we look at their family and go, well, we have Sunday school classes. Do you go to Sunday school? We'd love to invite you to a Sunday school class. One of the things that I set up in all my churches was the evangelistic arm of the church was run largely through the Sunday school department. And the Georgia Baptist Convention and Southern Baptists have a great program for that. Bottom line is, when somebody comes into the church, first thing you do is you try and attach them to a small group of people in a Sunday school. And when they go into that classroom, they get attached to that group, and the teacher, they make contact with them and say, welcome to our class, and they immediately feel welcome, not just in the larger worship of the church, but in a small group. Amen. And, 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 so the ch- and so each Sunday school class sort of does its own evangelism. And, and, and when someone's brought into their class, here's the idea. When someone walks into a Sunday school room that first time, you want them to feel so welcome and so loved and have an encounter with a class that loves God and loves the word, worshiping in a small group Sunday school environment, you want them to walk into that class and make it almost impossible for them to leave. Amen. I've been in churches where when class is over, you can't wait to get out of the door. I've been in churches where the worship service is over and everybody can't wait to leave. Uh, now, now, I'm so thankful that this church, I, I love it. This is one of those churches where when, when we dismiss, you guys hang around. Amen. Even with COVID, y'all are still hanging. We're supposed to get out of here. See, the rule is we're supposed to, you're still hanging. We're hanging out six feet apart, but we're still hanging out. Amen. That's a wonderful thing when, when people come together and they find it hard to leave. And it ought to never be more like that than in the body of Christ. Amen? So that's the first thing. It's what we call open groups in the church. But then we do need to have closed groups in the church. And every church is going to do this different. And what I mean by a closed group is a group that, in this instance, the only way you can be in that group or be a part of that group, it's restrictive. But it's not restrictive because of us. It's restricted because of Scripture. And what I mean by that is this. In order to be a part of this particular group, you have to be either a believer or at least a church member. Now, the Bible says, if you're not a believer, you're not a real church member. Amen? But there are a lot of churches who will let people join the church, even though they've never made a profession of faith in Christ. There are, other, there are other churches who make that a requirement. I tend to lead towards that size. To, toward that. So, well, I want to join the church. Well, I well, first asked him, said, so, well, have you been saved? When did you trust Christ as your Savior? What church are you go? Well, I've never, I've never really thought about that. says, well, in our church, in order to be a part of the body, the Bible says to be a part of the church, you actually have to believe in Jesus Christ. Has anybody ever shared the gospel with you? Be surprised how many times in my ministry I've been able to share with someone who visited a church who thought they knew who'd never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. But when we talk about this closed group, we're talking about closed as the Bible defines it. So you're in Acts chapter 17. Flip flip over to, um, and we didn't finish reading it, but that's okay because we don't want to look at the negative part of it. But again, we talk about how the the, the group that followed them to try and disrupt things, the devil's always going to disrupt. So look at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. It says that a certain Jew named Apollos Born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. Now that's important. Note that. He was mighty in the scriptures. He knew the word as best you could know the word at that day. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took unto them, uh, took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them, with much, uh, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So, you have a Jewish man named Apollos. He grew up in Alexandria which at that time was the cornerstone of philosophy and wisdom in the world. So he'd been exposed to the philosophies of his day and all those things, but he'd also been exposed to the Word of God. And as he grew up, at some point, this man had an encounter with the story with Christ, and he became a Christian. And now as he's teaching, there's, there's things lacking in his life. There's things he didn't know. There were things that he didn't know. And so in order for him to, to learn those things, somebody had to teach him. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. And if you remember me preaching that before, that's the command in the Great Commission. The command isn't go. The command is make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. And here, Apollos needed someone to help him to become a disciple. And so uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila show up and they begin to teach him the word of God more excellently. With greater knowledge, they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So when we talk about closed groups, we're talking about someone who's a Christian or a church member who's put into a group for the specific reason of teaching them what they need, to take what they already know and building on it so that they can then go and teach others and help them grow in the faith. Amen? And and I want to say this, and I want you to understand what I I mean. There needs to be a, a class, there needs to be groups in the church where we're taking those who have made a clear profession of faith in Jesus Christ and we're encouraging them and equipping them to grow up in their faith so that they can serve the Lord in ways they've never thought about serving Him before. Every church, and I've said this in past weeks, and I'm going to say it again, and you're going to hear me say this for the next couple of weeks, you're going to keep hearing me talk about vision, amen. But if a church has a Sunday school department with Sunday school teachers, then it must necessarily have a training department for those Sunday school teachers. I'm going to let that one sink in. When was the last time that you as a Sunday school teacher went to a class teaching you how to be a better Sunday school teacher? When was the last time you, who thought about being a Sunday school teacher, we were invited to a class where you would be taught what it means to be a Sunday school teacher and how to lead a Sunday school class. Well, I can give you a harder answer to that one. I've been in churches where when you begin to institute Sunday school leader training and try to teach the Sunday school teachers and raise up future Sunday school teachers, you're met by people who will tell you, I don't need to be taught how to be a Sunday school teacher. I've been doing it for 963 years. As if. We don't have anything else left to learn. Beloved, if I preach for a thousand years, I still will not have scratched the surface of what I need to know from the Word of God. If you and I live 100 or 200 years, we'll never know everything. And there's always room for growth. And if a church has a Sunday school department, it should be training that Sunday school department. That was free. Amen. If a church has deacons, it should have a deacon training department some way in which the deacons are trained if a church has elders there should be a way where people who want to know more about what it means to be an elder and the elders themselves can be trained and taught about what it means to be an elder now i'm gonna and i'll say this just as a just as a freebie i'm relearning this because as I, as I have been able to serve and minister in different churches, I have, the, I have the luxury of having this broader picture of having seen a number of different churches, some doing it better than others, some not doing it at all, some doing it well, some doing it poorly. Some, and I've, I've had this experience. And I'm learning in my own life, in my own ministry, where I, who spent 20 years as a pastor, can look back and think in those 20 years as a pastor, I missed that, I missed that, I missed that, I missed that. And I'm going to tell you, beloved, all I can do moving forward is all that you can do moving forward is say, well, now that I know better, I'm going to do better. That's good, amen? Now that I know better, I'm going to do better. And as I know better and I do better and, 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 and grow in that, then God can do more things through my life of ministry and through your life of ministry. We never stop growing. You never stop growing. You know when you stop? You know when we stop? I've told you in past weeks when we stop. You know when we stop? God will tell you face-to-face, <laughs> You stop when you're standing before him and he says, you're done. Welcome home. Amen. And not before then. You can still pray. You can still do anything that God has given you the strength and ability to do as long as we're still in there. So when we talk about closed groups, we're talking about having something in the church. Now, I say all that because of this. Your search committee is looking for a pastor right now. And when he comes... If your search community does their job and if you've done your job and if you've been praying and everything goes well, when that new pastor comes and he is a man of God and I expect they're going to find the man that God has for this church, when he comes, he's going to, number one, he's going to do what I've been saying for weeks, he's going to do. He's going to cast and help you cast a fresh vision for First Baptist Church of Mableton. And he's going to begin training and helping you be a disciple and build disciples and make disciples. And he's going to begin to introduce this. And if you don't prepare this now, if you don't wrap your heart and mind around this now, the first time he says, we need to have a meeting training the Sunday school teachers, your response will be, but I've been teaching Sunday school for 963 years. You have to wrap your heart and mind Ran out of breath. You have to wrap your heart and mind around the fact. And I I told you. I told you this. I told you when you called me to be your transitional pastor. I said last week, I'm here for a little while and then I'm gone. But I'm praying God brings a man here that will challenge the fool out of you and take this church to new heights and new levels that it's never been before by the glory of God and for the glory of God, by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. So open groups, closed groups. And then you have leader groups. And leader groups are different. Um, We won't read Acts chapter 6 verse 1 through 3. That's the deacons. That's where the deacons were formed. But look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and we'll read verses 1 through 3. And we'll close with this. In Acts chapter 6 verse 1 through 3. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. It's where the deacons were formed. The widows, the Greeks, the, G- the Greeks were saying that the widows aren't being cared for. Remember, we talked about that. The Jews knew how to care for each other, but the Greeks didn't. The Greeks, under- the Greeks saw that as a sign of weakness. We won't re-preach that sermon. But the Greeks who had been converted didn't have anyone taking care of them. And so they cried out to the disciples. And the disciples said, okay, we need to do something. And so they said, choose you, these men, full of good report. And the first deacon body was formed to take care of the widows in the daily ministry of the church to make sure their needs were met. That was the first office of leadership appointed in the church to help support the pastors, the apostles, the bishops, the elders, the leaders of the church was the deacons. Now, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Boy, that's loaded. Don't miss that. He had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, Lucius of Cyrene and Manian. Manian was a man who grew up with Herod, one of the most wicked men who ever lived. And somehow or another, Herod who missed Jesus, Manaean found Jesus, and now he is a leader in the church. Be. There's, there's, there's too many people who are going go to go spend their whole life right at the cross, just that close to the cross, and will never get it. But Thank God for the ones that do. Amen, amen, amen. All right, verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So we talk about open groups and closed groups. And now we talk about leader groups. And leader groups are just that. Leader groups are leaders in the church. These are deacons. These are elders. These are bishops. These are missionaries. These are the ones in the church that have reached a point of training and they've lived such a life. And we talked about that last week. We looked at the qualifications of a deacon. We looked at the qualifications of an elder and a bishop. We looked at those qualifications. These are the ones who have reached that point and now they're put into the office to serve and go and do. You qualify, now go do this. And here in this instance, they didn't just raise up a leader within the local church. They raised up Barnabas and Saul to actually be missionaries, to actually take the gospel to the ends of the earth. said, take them and, and send them uh, uh, and let them take the gospel and what you have here and let it spread further. And I've said this before. It's one of, the, one of my heartbreaks in ministry we never in all my years of being a pastor we are all of our churches we never planted another church I always wanted to but we never did we never sent out a missionary of our own. We recommissioned several missionaries, but I was never able to send out a missionary. But we did take several mission trips. I went into churches where they never took mission trips. They didn't know what missions were. And by the time I left, we had taken two, three, four, or five mission trips. And I, and I loved that, and I cling to that. But I always look back on my ministry, and I wish, but if, if I could have just known that, that there was one young man or one young lady that God had spoken to and called them to the mission field, and, and, and here's the thing, I'm not done yet. Amen. And so I pray that by God's grace that will still happen in my life one day, that I'll have the privilege of seeing someone that has looked at my life and seen enough in me and heard the call of God, that I have the privilege of being a part of sending them to the mission field. And so I challenge every church with this now. When was the last time? When was the last time that you ordained a pastor? Or missionary from within the very body of this local congregation, and that's the challenge that I put before every church. I don't know how long a church can be in existence for ten years, hundred years. Doesn't matter. But my prayer is, give every church just one, just one. Give them one. Give them at least one. Give them one. Just give them one. And then when they get the one, God, give them two. Give them two. Just two. Give them two. Give them just let them have two. And then when they get two, God, just give them three. Give them three. Hey, do you see where this is going? You don't get to two till you get to one. Amen. You don't get to four till you get to three. But my prayer now is that churches begin to understand that this idea, I'm gonna preach and then I'm, I'm almost done. This idea of building a bigger church. We got people coming into the church. Let's keep building a bigger church so that more people will fit. We'll have more services. And the church is open. People are coming. <clears throat> and the church has closed groups. They're training people. And the people inside the church, they're doing it. They're, they're all the Sunday school, but they've got leaders in the church. The church is growing. And you're, you're, you're meeting those first two requirements. But then you look at this church that has built itself up through the years. And, and maybe they've got several thousand members. And maybe they're having three, four, or five services on Sunday morning. You look at that church and you realize that church has never ordained or sent out a pastor or a missionary. And I want to say as lovingly and as tenderly as I can. As amazing as that church might be, it still missed one of the greatest privileges in the body of Christ that a church will ever have. And that's seeing a God-called man or woman sent into the harvest field as a result of what that church is doing. Amen. 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 Now, with that in mind, how are we building our plurality of servants? Is our church number one? Is it welcome and open? Thank God that this church is. And we're open right now. We're open right now. We're going to stay open. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray that nothing happens. I don't want anything to hit. As I said before, several churches opened back up. They got hit, and they've closed back down. My, church is temporarily, my home church is temporarily shut down for two more weeks while they get some testing done to determine whether or not there was an exposure. And if everything comes back fine, they'll reopen go back to having worship service. But right now, their church doors are closed on this Sunday morning. I'm praying that ours will stay open. You just keep spreading out. You just keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. By God's grace, we'll get through this. Amen. Is our church open and welcome? Yes, our church is open and welcome. But even if we weren't in here, we'd still be broadcasting. We'd still be live streaming. We'd still be doing that. We'll go out. If we need to, we'll go back to just the three or four of us in this room preaching to a camp. We'll we'll sing and preach for the camp. We'll do what we have to do to make sure the gospel gets out there. Amen. Is this church welcoming? Oh, yes, it is. I commend you for that. I thank you for welcoming me and making me a part of your church for this brief time. Number two. Are we training and building? Are we training and building? You chose to do the transitional process, so the answer to that question is yes. You're preparing your hearts right now for the man who will be standing behind this pulpit, as I've said, for years and years and years and years to come. And I, and I don't think I've said it yes yet, so I'll, let me just say it now just to make it clear. Don't make me come back here. <laughs> Some of you we don't, we don't want you, we don't want you to have to come back here. Amen. Beloved, no. I, I wanna, if I come back, I want to come back in 10 years preach revival with the same man that you called after. Amen. If I come back, I want to come back and see, and I want to come back, and I want to see that, I want, okay. I want to see and just, I want to walk in and just go, wow. Look at what God has done. And then number three, are we sending and are we going? Are we sending and are we going? And by that, what do I mean? I mean even if, and thank God this church you have sent me. Thank God. uh, Chris and Carla just came back. They're not here this morning, but they just came back from the Builders for Christ. This church sends out mission. You have mission trips. Barry went. You went too. Was that your first one, Barry? It was his first one. Okay. And he came back unharmed and well. So you can take a mission trip and still come home. Amen. But this church is ascending and a going church. but I'm praying, I'm praying for God to do him greater and mightier things than that of that. So I'm going to close with this story. A pastor, I heard a pastor tell a story about how when he was young in the ministry, and he took a church and he went to that church. And, he, and, and it was a small church, struggling church, and they made a commitment to the gospel, and they began to do all of these things, and, they, he preached, and, and the church began to grow. And after a period of time, the, church, the Lord called him to another church, and when he left the church, the church was doing well. They were thriving. They were growing. Everything was great. Years later, he went back into that community. and said, well, let me find out about, let me see about this church, you know, and, and, and let me see how they're doing. And as he was back in town preaching or doing something, he went back, and he went to find out about that church, and he found out that the church had just recently closed. He said, "What do you mean?" Just read. He said, "Well, they just, just somebody told him. So eventually, members people quit coming. The church eventually died off, and 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 they just whatever happened. But the church just it it quit. It it just they couldn't afford it anymore, so they just closed the doors. And the church has recently been bought by a local club or organization. They're going to turn the church into one of their meeting facilities." And so he found out who owned it and he found out who who had bought it and he said there'd be a chance that I could go see this church. It was his first church. And so he goes into the church and he walks in. They still had all of the things there that he remembered, the pews there, the pulpit, and he walked in this and he remembered it. And as he walked and he looked around, and he thought, How did you know we were doing so well? What happened? What happened? What happened? As he stands and he goes in the pulpit and he stands and he looks back to the pulpit and he looks at the doors behind where he used to come in. And and one of the things that they had put up over the door, over the door on the way out was the verse in Proverbs that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And he remembered when they had put that up there. He remembered that. But as he stood in the pulpit, he looked, and the W had fallen off. So now it said, here there is no vision, the people perish. Beloved, if we ever forget... That it's the gospel. It is the message of Christ that makes us unique and gives us the only thing that we need and the only thing that we have to offer the world that the world needs. If we ever get away from that, if we ever get away from that, then it's just a matter of time before we wind up, any church winds up like that church. So I pray this morning that you this morning would pray about where you fit and what God wants you to do in the life of this church as it moves forward with a fresh vision for the glory of God. Amen? And in two weeks, we're going to talk about loving one another, caring for one another. We're going to look at those one another passages. We're going to look at how we love the world, which is a challenge today. Amen? But that will not happen if we don't have a vision from God. Let's pray. Let's pray.